Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Canadian flags on government buildings are being lowered again today after lying at full mast for the first time in more than five months. There is an understanding of how important it is to be able to lower the flags on Remembrance Day to mark uh, our veterans, to mark uh, people, in including Indigenous peoples who've stepped up to fight for Canadian values and paid the ultimate sacrifice. The Liberals and the NDP hold informal talks on propping up the government. And we're going to watch closely to see uh, are they signaling to us a desire to work together or not? And, and that will inform uh, our relationship moving forward. And Scott Moe speaks out against the Prime Minister's commitment on capping greenhouse gas emissions. Recently, the province did announce the goal to increase oil production from 450,000 barrels a day to 600,000 barrels a day. Um, so he says that he's worried that the cap on oil and gas emissions that Trudeau is committed to will reduce investment in the energy sector there. It's Monday, November the 8th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. Good morning, Joanna. Good morning, Mark. So the flags on government buildings in Canada were raised again to full mass last night at sunset, and they'll, they're being lowered again today. Um, and and they'll continue to be lowered to mark Remembrance Day services this week, and then they'll return to full mast. So uh, there there was a lot of debate about this and discussion about it, including during the election campaign. They had been lowered, uh, of course, in late May uh, to mark the victims of of uh, residential schools in Canada uh, after the discovery of of the bodies of children at at a couple of different sites. Um, so. Uh, Tell me more about how we got to this point and what happens next. So yeah, I mean, it's this was the longest period in time, really, where Canada's flag had been lowered to half mast, and I think there was, you know, some questions being raised about, okay, that it was lowered for this reason to to honor the victims and this really, you know, tragic um, discovery that was made that really I think helped a lot of people really understand what happened in residential schools over so many years. Um, and yet, as we were getting closer to Remembrance Day, I think there was a feeling that, okay, but if it's if the flag's already down at half-mast, then how then do we recognize the sacrifices of veterans as we do every year on November 11th? And how do we lower the flag to half-mast for, for other situations? And, you know, last week, the Department of Canadian Heritage answered a question saying, well, if it's down and there's a new order to put it down, we don't have to raise it up again. It's just considered being down for this reason as well. Um, but, you know, the Royal Canadian Legion went ahead and decided that they would raise the flag on the National War Memorial and then and then have it lowered again for, for Remembrance Day. So during the election, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole had been asked for his thoughts about this, and he said, you know, the flag should be raised. Um, and then... Prime Minister Trudeau said, you know, this needs to be something that Indigenous peoples and, and residential school survivors are comfortable with. So there was, I think, a lot of uh, talks going back and forth. I think there was an impression left at some point that everyone would have to completely agree um, with the way going forward. I don't think that's entirely what happened, but I think we've come to a place now where there there has been some sort of compromise. So so on Friday we saw the Assembly of First Nations come out and say 
you know, we would like for an orange Every Child Matters flag to be raised on Parliament Hill alongside Canada's flag. Um, and then the federal government announced something a, a little bit similar to that. They said they would uh, raise the flag and they would also fly the National Truth and Reconciliation Center's survivor's flag, which is also an orange flag, um, in the parliamentary precinct at a, at a suitable location. So, so that's sort of where we are now. Um, and there's an agreement as well that every September 30th, which is going forward the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, that Canada's flag would also be lowered to, to half-mast, as it is to, you know, traditionally on Remembrance Day. Yeah. All right. Um, and, of course, uh, we'll be marking Remembrance Day on Thursday of this week. Um, let's talk about, speaking of agreements, uh, it's interesting. We, we continue to hear that the Liberals and the NDP are holding what are being described as informal talks on on how things will move forward in this minority parliament. And there are people speculating that it could lead to um, a, a perhaps an unusual deal that would would keep the government in power for a specific amount of time. We've seen that at the provincial level in Canada, but very rarely outside of that. So what are you hearing about that? So this was uh, first reported the other week in McLean's, and the idea was, you know, that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and NDP leader Jasmeet Singh had, had met and that they weren't necessarily talking about it, but the topic had been raised. And I think there's just sort of this idea that... There is much common ground between the Liberals and the NDP, and we are in a minority parliament situation, and we we have a Conservative Party that is uh, very in, in a different place um, on on many policies, particularly climate change, and and so the two parties sort of want to be able to get some of these things done that they both believe are important, then maybe some sort of deal makes sense. So, um, you know, there's since been reporting by La Presse and the Globe and Mail that, that these talks are perhaps getting a little more serious. You know, Katie Telford, Tel- sorry, Trudeau's chief of staff, uh, speaking with Jennifer Howard, uh, Singh's chief of staff, um, you know, and now it seems to be a little bit uh, more out in the open. We're having, you know, Liberal MP Nathaniel Erskine-Smith talking about it. We're having NDP MP Charlie Angus talking about the possibility so, yeah, the idea would be this wouldn't be a coalition with, you know, NDP cabinet ministers uh, or anything like that. But it would, as you as you said, something that we have seen at the provincial level, um, particularly a deal that was struck between then Liberal Premier David Peterson and uh, NDP leader Bob Ray in 1985 at Queen's Park in Ontario. Um, that was sort of a, a two-year deal. So the idea would be that the Liberals would present their legislation and their their throne speech and their and their budget, and the NDP would support the Liberals through through that. Um, so it's interesting. We'll we'll see what comes to it. I mean, we had sort of a, a very informal version of that, uh, you know, in the couple of years between the last two elections, um, where the NDP did did end up supporting the Liberals on on some key uh, confidence votes that that pushed off the election at a time when it otherwise could have happened, right? So this would yeah. be something a little a little more formal um, than that, and it's sort of like you said, unusual at the federal level, and and you know could could potentially backfire for the NDP, um, and I think that's something that uh, they would be they would be nervous about, and why they make sure that they still had some room there to oppose the government on things that they they didn't like about them. All right, you mentioned climate change and uh, and the NDP and the Liberals largely agreeing on that, uh, on on how to approach it. Um, and of course, last week, the Prime Minister and, and several ministers and many officials from the government were at COP26. Uh, Premier Scott Moe, 
uh, over the weekend had his leadership reaffirmed at a convention of the Saskatchewan party. And he went on the attack against uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, saying that uh, the prime minister uh, was was attacking Saskatchewan's energy sector. He called it an outright attack. So uh, while the, the prime minister might um, might have lots of like minds uh, internationally on what needs to be done with Canada's energy sector, uh, he's going to face some opposition at home, isn't he? Yeah, and this has been a, you know, a tension throughout, right? Um, Canada being a resource-heavy producing country, this is always going to be a tension on how do you get more ambitious about climate change while, while not causing, um, you know, disruption and job losses in, in energy-heavy sectors in, you know, particular areas of the country. So it doesn't just get wrapped, it's not just the economy, you know, politics and, and you know, the whole issue of, Federation and national unity obviously gets wrapped up in that a lot. And, you know, I think it was interesting that Premier Mo seemed to spend more time talking about this than his own leadership, you know, in a speech leading up to to his leadership review. That was sort of interesting. So it shows um, where he clearly thinks um, his supporters are on on this, you know. And and this is uh, a key thing for the province, you know. Just recently, the province did announce the goal to increase oil production from... 450,000 barrels a day to 600,000 barrels a day. Um, so he says that he's worried that the cap on oil and gas emissions that Trudeau is committed to will reduce investment in the energy sector there. So, you know, clearly he's he's setting up a battle or, or setting or signaling that this, this battle will, will continue. One thing I did find interesting was he said that he wasn't notified of this policy change, but this was something that the Liberals did actually promise in their very recent election platform. And so what was, you know, happened at COP26 was him essentially repeating that pledge on the global stage. Um, so there shouldn't really have been any surprises there, but um, I think it really sort of shows the challenge ahead. And it's, and it's been interesting, you know, um, to see Trudeau's response and his government's response to criticism of where they're going on this, to criticism of him appointing you know, Stephen Guilbeault, uh, a longtime former environment activist, as now the environment minister, and and it seems like they're, you know, just saying this is where this is where things are going. Guilbeault saying, "I have no secret agenda. This is what the government decided. It will be ambitious on on climate change, and here's where we are. So come along with us or not." So yeah. it's sort of uh, interesting to see that kind of rhetoric compared to where we were in 2019, where there I think was a a feeling that the federal government needed to make amends with the West. Mm-hmm. All right. Finally, Joanna, um, we're expecting Aaron O'Toole, the leader of the Conservative Party, to uh, answer questions from the media today at 1130 Eastern Time. And uh, and we know what he's going to be asked about. He's he's going to be asked about vaccination policies and about how many members of the Conservative caucus still haven't been vaccinated, whether he's going to require them to be vaccinated. And this issue continues to drag on and divide the party and create risk for Aaron O'Toole in the eyes of the public. It does. And, you know, there's there's a further sort of challenge that cropped up last week, and that was that Marilyn Gladue, one of his MPs, uh, came out and announced that there'd be uh, a civil liberties caucus, and that's not sort of not, you know, splitting off from the larger conservative caucus, of course, but this would be sort of a, a mini caucus within that larger caucus composed of she said between 15 to 30 MPs and senators, because of course there are conservative senators in the caucus as well. 
um, that would be called the Civil Liberties Caucus, and it would be sort of, you know, supporting those who, who might be at risk of losing their jobs for mandatory vaccination policies. Um, so she's, you know, saying absolutely this is not a challenge to his leadership, and it's, you know, they're not planning to contradict him in any way. But, of course, it's another way that this issue is going to be keep uh, getting more and more attention, and O'Toole will face more and more questions about it, and he has been unclear. His policy seems to be shifting on this. Um, you know, he came out and said that um, they will abide by, they will respect the Board of Internal Economy's decision on mandatory vaccination for MPs in the House of Commons, but of course he was very careful, I think, to say that he was talking about MPs who would show up to the House of Commons. He still hasn't answered how many MPs of his um, are not vaccinated and therefore would not be able to show up to the House of Commons, right? So so this is a, a question that still looms and it's getting um, bigger and bigger, I think, as we get closer and closer to November 22nd, which is the day when um, people will need to, to show up and, yeah. uh, in the House of Commons. And, you know, there's a speaker's vote that's going to happen. And as far as we know now, that's going to be happening in person. So how do you, how do you figure that out? Yeah. All right, we'll see what happens uh, when Aaron O'Toole speaks with the media today. Joanna, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. That's Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Robin Sears argues, Melanie Jolie is a curious choice for foreign minister. Sears writes, Jolie has no obvious experience in international relations and less ministerial exposure to the world than perhaps a dozen other ministers from agriculture to finance who play key roles with their international peers. So why did she get the job? The most obvious reason is that the prime minister wants his most loyal and obedient friends in the inner circle of his cabinet. But a newbie minister with no guiding strategic goals is surely a recipe for Canada's continuing drift toward global irrelevance. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun considers the controversy over the CEO of Air Canada. The Sun writes, We have an airline industry staggering under a massive loss of business. And the news that makes it to the front page is the admission by Michael Rousseau that he's survived in Montreal, where Air Canada is headquartered, without the ability to function in French. Air Canada is a private company operating in a highly competitive global economy in a pandemic. We can't have politicians calling the shots. In politics, an ability to speak French is an essential path to success. The business world has different priorities. In the National Post, Jeffrey F. Collins argues that without a plan for new submarines, Canada faces a defense gap in the Arctic. Collins writes... Should delays in deciding on a new submarine fleet emerge, Canada will encounter a capability gap. Simply put, with vessels removed from service and the replacements not yet delivered, crews would be without any operational submarines for a period of time. Submarines are a proven critical tool in the government's ability to monitor and patrol Canadian sovereignty. They provide the ability to conduct surveillance and intelligence-gathering operations at home and abroad. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister and Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley will meet with Indigenous veterans to mark Indigenous Veterans Day. The Prime Minister will also attend the Liberal Caucus meeting. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and members of the NDP caucus will visit the National Indigenous Veterans Monument 
Following the visit, the NDP caucus will have its meeting. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will speak with the media in Ottawa. And Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne is in Europe to meet with his international counterparts and to attend the Global Partnership on Artificial Intelligence Summit. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, November 8th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.